The text for this morning's sermon is Joshua 5, the verses 13 to 15. We'll read those verses again. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we continue our series on encounters that some of the saints of the Old Testament had with God. Our focus is on Joshua and his meeting with the commander of the army of the Lord. Once again, after a 40-year sojourn in the wilderness, Joshua and the people of Israel are on the cusp of inheriting the land of Canaan. Joshua 5 begins by telling us about how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan River for the people of Israel, allowing them to cross over into the promised land. Our text shows how Joshua was scouting out the city of Jericho. Joshua was one of the 12 spies whom the Lord originally sent to scout out the land. While the spies had brought a report indicating that the land of Canaan was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, the ten spies put fear into the hearts of God's people. They spoke about how the people of the land were very powerful and how the cities were fortified and very large. They even warned about there being giants in the land. Caleb and Joshua encouraged the Israelites to go up and take possession of the land, assuring the people that God would be with them. But the people listened to the ten spies. They were afraid and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They felt that the Lord had brought them into the land to let them fall by the sword. They figured that their wives and their children would be taken as plunder. So they rebelled against the Lord and refused to go up to inherit the land. God's punishment was to banish them to die in the wilderness. None of that generation from 20 years and up was allowed to inherit the land God had promised to give them, except for Caleb and Joshua. Now Joshua is the new leader of God's people. Formerly, he had served as general of Israel's armies, leading the fighting men in battle against their enemies. On this occasion, he was back where he started as a spy some 40 years earlier. God had given his people entrance into the land of Canaan. Yet to take possession of it, they first had to conquer Jericho, which was situated at the gate of the land. When scouting out the city, Joshua meets a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. 
Our text identifies this man as the commander of the army of the Lord. Who was this man? Joshua meets. Why does the commander of the Lord's army confront Joshua at this point in time? How does Joshua respond to meeting this person? What does our text teach us about the Lord and about his dealings with his people, Israel? What lessons can we learn from this encounter that Joshua had with God? These are some of the questions we hope to answer this morning. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The commander of the Lord's army appears to Joshua. We'll consider who the commander of the Lord's army is, why the commander of the Lord's army appears, and how Joshua responds to the commander of the Lord's army. Under Moses, Joshua had become commander of the armies of Israel. With Moses' death, he has become the leader of the nation of Israel. As he approached Jericho, Joshua lifted up his eyes and looked, and a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. This man was ready for battle. He was prepared to engage in combat. But Joshua does not back down. It's important to note, Joshua was no longer a young man. The 12 spies who went out to scout out the land were tribal leaders. Joshua 14 verse 7 tells us that Caleb was 40 years old when he went out to spy out the land. If Joshua was of similar age, then by now he was an 80-year-old man. But Joshua does not back down. Our text says that Joshua went to him. When the Lord commissioned Joshua, he commanded him to be strong and courageous. He promised him, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. The Lord told Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua trusted in the Lord's promises. He was not afraid to approach this man with a drawn sword, even though this man might kill him. Joshua challenged him. He asked, are you for us or for our adversaries? The man with a drawn sword responds by saying, no. He rejects the either-or question Joshua asked him. The question is not whether he is for Joshua and the Israelites or against them. Joshua is asking the wrong question. This man is not someone who is for or against people. People are for or against this man. The man with the sword says, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. So who is this commander of the Lord's army? Our text gives several clear indications. The first is of how Joshua responded to this revelation. 
Joshua hit the dirt. He fell on his face to the earth and he worshipped. Joshua's response indicates that he understands that the man with the sword is a divine being, that he is God. Some people like to suggest that the commander of the Lord's army is an angel. But the Bible is clear that God's angels never accept worship from people. Angels are but created beings. We are not to worship them. In Revelation 22, John fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who revealed many heavenly things to him. The angel said to him, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. Worship God. The fact that the commander of the Lord's army is God is also clear from what follows. Joshua asks if the man with the drawn sword had a message for him. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. There are close parallels between our text and what happened when the Lord revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. It's the presence of God that made the ground holy so that Moses and now Joshua were required to take off their sandals. So far, we've identified the man with the drawn sword as a divine being worthy of worship. Yet the Bible provides other clues about who this man is. One of the hints is that Joshua sees the man with a drawn sword. The phrase with a drawn sword is used only two other times in the Old Testament. The first is in Numbers 22, when the pagan prophet Balaam was going to prophesy against Israel. God's anger was kindled against Balaam, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword. The second reference to a drawn sword is found in 1 Chronicles 21, when the Lord commands David to choose a punishment for his sin of numbering the fighting men of Israel. The third option was to suffer three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. What is striking is that on both occasions, the person holding the drawn sword is the angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? When you study the passages, when the angel of the Lord is mentioned, he is identified with the Lord, and yet he's distinguished from him. The account about Balaam mentions that God's anger was kindled against him, with the result that the angel of the Lord was standing in the road with a drawn sword. Later in the account, it says that the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. Yet the angel of the Lord is also one with the Lord. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The angel of the Lord speaks with the authority of God himself. 
So who is this angel of the Lord who is identified and also distinguished from him? The Old Testament makes it clear that he is the second person of the Trinity. This is God come in human flesh. It is a preliminary manifestation of the eternal word of God, who in the fullness of time was born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law from the curse of sin. Jesus Christ, who came as the Messiah, manifest himself in earlier times as the angel of the Lord. He appears at critical times in the history of God's people, working for the salvation of his people and bringing judgment on those who deserve it. It is the angel of the Lord who appears to Joshua as he's scouting out the city of Jericho. We often think that the Messiah began his mediatorial work when he came into this world as Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. Yet Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Our text makes clear that he was present and actively working for the benefit of his people long before that. He came at this critical moment in the history of God's people to help them brings us to our second point, and I will consider why the commander of the Lord's army appears. The man with the drawn sword reveals himself to Joshua, saying, I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. What does it mean that he calls himself the commander of the army of the Lord? While Moses was still alive, Joshua served as his right-hand man. Part of his responsibility was leading the men of Israel into warfare against their enemies. Joshua served as the commander of Israel's armies. Remember what Joshua was doing. He had just led the people over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. He was scouting out the city of Jericho. The people of Canaan had heard of what the Lord did for his people. They heard of how the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan during flood time so his people could cross over the river. Joshua 5 verse 1 tells us that their hearts melted. There was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. They were deeply afraid. They hid in their fortified city. Joshua knew that to conquer the land of Canaan, the people had to take this city of Jericho. Humanly speaking, that was a daunting task. Jericho was a strongly fortified city with walls and a gate built up on a hill, so attackers had to go up to take it. The first line of defense was a deep trench with a 20-foot wall of field stones towering over it. Above this was a 35-degree slope going up to the top of the hill, about 30 feet higher. And above that was the final city wall, 18 feet wide and another 15 to 20 feet tall. While Joshua was scouting Jericho, the man with the drawn sword appears and identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's army. Why does he identify himself in this way? 
And why does he appear at this moment in time? Humanly speaking, Joshua was the commander of the Lord's troops. Yet he faced a daunting task, not just of capturing Jericho, but of conquering seven Canaanite nations. So the Lord makes it clear to him, he is not alone. He will not need to lead the fight. The angel of the Lord is the true commander of Israel's armies. He will lead the way. His presence will assure the people that the Lord is fighting on their behalf. With God at their side, their victory is assured. Beloved, this is not the first time that the Lord reveals himself as a divine warrior. A generation earlier, the Lord led his people out of slavery in Egypt. When Pharaoh and the Egyptians saw that they had lost their labor force, they chased after the Israelites to try bring them back into slavery. You all know the story of what happened to Pharaoh's horsemen and chariots. The Lord drowned them all in the Red Sea. Exodus 15 records the song that Moses and Israel sang about the Lord's glorious deliverance of his people. They sang, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This song celebrates the promise of Exodus 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. The Israelites were not required to fight for freedom. All they needed to do was stand their ground, quietly waiting to see what God would do. In the same way in our text, we see that the angel of the Lord comes to fight Israel's battles. In Joshua 6, verse 2, the Lord tells Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. The Israelites were not required to storm Jericho or to set a siege trying to starve the people. All they were required to do was to march around the city once per day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. After marching on the final day, they were to sound the trumpet and all the people were to shout. The Lord said that the walls of the city would fall down flat. So we see that the Lord, as a divine warrior, as a mighty man of war, leads his people in the conquest of the promised land. That, beloved, is very instructive for us as Christians living in the last days. We are familiar with Jesus as the Son of God, who out of his great love came down to save us from our sins. We are less familiar with the image of Christ as a divine warrior who battles against our enemies. Yet the Christ who manifests himself to Joshua as the commander of the army of the Lord 
has not changed. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So what does that mean for our lives? After the sermon, we're going to sing from Martin Luther's famous song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's a song based on Psalm 46, which speaks about God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Part of the trouble facing God's people was the oppression of their enemies. Yet the psalm speaks of how the Lord breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. God delivers his people. And so they can sing, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Martin Luther very appropriately applies this psalm to our situation as Christians living in the last days. We, too, face strong enemies. Luther sings, For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. So, beloved, how are we going to stand strong in our battle against Satan, the prince of darkness, And against the devils he sends to cause havoc in our lives? How do we persevere when confronted with the temptations that this world has to offer? How do we fight against the sinful desires of the flesh? Do you think that we could make it to our promised land on our own? Do you think that we could withstand the attacks of our mortal enemies in our own strength? There is no way. Luther makes that point clear in stanza two of his song. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Did you notice what Christ is called in this song? He's called Lord Sabaoth. What kind of title is that? Sabaoth is the Hebrew word for hosts. It comes from Psalm 46, where God's people confess, the Lord of hosts is with us. You know what those hosts refer to? They refer to an army. That army is sometimes an army of Israelites, and sometimes an army of angels. But the point is that Jesus Christ is the commander of the Lord's armies. Jesus Christ is the one who fights for us. He waged war against Satan and all his devils. Never in the Bible do you read about as much demonic activity 
as during the ministry of Christ on earth. Satan tried to wipe out the baby Jesus when the wise man made it clear to Herod that Israel's king had been born in Bethlehem. He tries to derail Jesus' ministry by offering him all the kingdoms of the earth. If only Jesus would bow down and worship him. He used envy and hatred to set Israel's religious leaders against Jesus. Satan thought he was winning the battle when he had Christ crucified. Yet it was precisely through his death on the cross that Jesus defeated Satan. He paid the price for our sins by offering his body and blood on our behalf. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Christ showed forth his victory by rising from the dead and ascending into heaven and sitting down on the throne at God's right hand. He has assumed the supreme position of glory and honor. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. By his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. There is a glorious passage in Revelation 19 that shows Jesus Christ as the commander of the Lord's armies. John reveals what he saw in one of his visions. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And one sitting on it, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What we see, beloved, is that the commander of the Lord's army rules over heaven and earth and all creatures. He has fought on our behalf. He has defeated all our enemies. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Do our enemies ever threaten or attack us? Certainly they do. Daily, we need to be engaged in warfare against the devil, this world, and our sinful flesh. But beloved, we don't have to be worried about the outcome. For Christ has won the victory. In him we may be sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brings us to our final point. How Joshua responds to the commander of the Lord's army. What did Joshua do when the commander of the Lord's army revealed who he was? He hit the dirt. He prostrated himself in worship before him. He asked if this commander had any instructions for him. At that moment, the only instruction was to take off his sandals because he was on holy ground. Joshua did so. When you come into the presence of God, all you can do is humbly bow down and worship him. Our reading makes clear that the commander of the Lord's army gave Joshua further instructions about how to fight the battle of Jericho. He assured him, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Israel's armies were not expected to storm the city and fight against it. In the battle against Jericho, the Lord wanted to demonstrate that he is all-powerful, that he will give his people the victory. They're simply commanded to march around the city once per day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. Then they were to shout, and the Lord promised that the walls would fall down. Just like the Israelites a generation earlier, all the people were required to do was to wait and see the great victory the Lord would give them over their enemies. We know the story of the fall of Jericho. God marched in the midst of Israel's armies in the ark, along with the men of war. On the seventh day, after the sounding of the trumpet, all the people shouted with a great shout, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. The commander of the Lord's army gave the Israelites a decisive victory. So you see, beloved, that the God we serve is much greater than we often imagine. So often we view God in a limited way. We see him as a God of love who loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. We see Jesus' great love in making the supreme sacrifice of giving his life for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Jesus is indeed supremely loving. But he's also a man of war. He's a commander of the Lord's army who fights against all his and our enemies and who will vanquish them. He is the rider on the white horse who will strike down the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. He is king of kings and lord of lords. When Joshua first faced the man with a drawn sword, he asked him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? The commander of the Lord's army rejected this either-or question. The real question is, are you for or against the commander of the Lord's armies? 
Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and King? If you don't, you've got big problems. For you will come under the judgment of the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. You'll face his wrath and condemnation. But beloved, if you confess Jesus as king and submit your life to his lordship, you are are supremely blessed. He will fight on your behalf. He will defend and preserve you against all enemies. He will allow you to share in the glorious inheritance that he has promised to all who love and serve him. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing hymn 53. A mighty fortress is our God.